Welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. And we've got Tulsh here with us as well. About a week into the season. How are we, lads? Enjoying some uh, NBA action? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What a what a first few few games we've seen. I This is why I never bet on basketball and especially NBA basketball because I <laughs> I cannot pick the results from day to day. It just does not make any sense. Teams that shouldn't be good are good. Teams that aren't that are supposed to be are terrible. So, yeah, it's been a whirlwind to to say the least. Yeah, I absolutely concur with that. That's um you're right. I think that the first the first opening week doesn't generally give a, that good of a barometer about how good teams are going quite quite yet. It's certainly um, everyone's finding their feet and getting their rhythm. So sometimes it can be a little bit um, misleading. Except for those Wizards, Tosh. That, they're the real deal. Yeah, you're right. The Wizards are the real deal. But you know, there's always an outlier in every conversation, and that's the Wizards. Speaking of the Wizards, I have to uh, I have to talk about uh, one of my predictions. My boy Kyle, he's doing very well in his new new home of Washington. He's uh, got himself. He's averaging fifteen points and just a tick over eleven rebounds, which is for someone that uh, yeah, obviously had his struggles in LA. He's uh, doing very well to start the season. So good work, Kyle. And he, I don't think he's been on Shaq in the full yet. So that's <laughs> Just that, hey, just just that pre just that preseason game, I think, and that that's it. So that's all right. Yeah, we, no, everyone knows preseason doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, where we'll start because they're the biggest franchise in the NBA. Uh, everyone had high hopes for them, but it certainly hasn't been the ideal start for the Los Angeles Lakers. So we'll start with you, Reg. What what have you made of Los Angeles' uh, start to the season? I'll admit I'm not at all surprised by their start to the season. Um, it For me, it doesn't change the end of the season and where I think they'll be at the end of the season. Um, they were terrible in preseason. Everyone was like, oh, it's preseason, blah, blah. But to me, it's like the, the, the situations we've seen in the past where they're still trying to figure stuff out. And not only are they trying to figure it out, but then you've got LeBron, obviously, who's missed a couple of games now, I think, Two with his ankle. Yep. Um, you know, so then Westbrook goes off, and they're like, "Oh, see, they can't, co- they can't play together." But they just need a good stretch of games where they're all playing together, and they'll be fine. They'll be fine. So for me, it's it's. I'm not surprised as as some people like as surprised as some people are, uh, because I I would have been probably more surprised if it was the opposite if they just gelled straight away because that's just not the way that it normally works when you have that much talent on one team. Yeah, true. Uh, Tosh, what have you made of Los Angeles start? And I'm referring to it as Los Angeles because there is only one team in LA, so we don't need to worry about confirming which team it is. What have you made of their start? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, as much as I'd like to start bashing the Lakers about their preseason form and um, their uh, their game against OKC the other day, I still think that, um, you know, like they'll be thereabouts come the end of the season, it's much, much to my dismay, but... Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think they just need to have a good run in in games. Get get LeBron healthy. Um, AD is obviously um, balling out, which is which is good to see. Um, I, I was interested in the, uh, the the scuffle between AD and, and Dwight, and I wondered what what might have come of that. But you know, we all know, you know, as competitors, this stuff happens, and you generally get over it and move on and um, use it as motivation. So um, it would be interesting to see if they are having a few squabbles with the, those egos on the team with the amount of uh, veterans and stars and, you know, like Mello has been a, you know, a franchise star at other franchises and same with Dwight, like interesting to see how that, how they manage all the egos. Yeah. It's certainly not, uh, not going to be an easy job. I must admit, I think, as Red said, it was going to be a slow start. I didn't expect it to be this rough, though. Uh, for me, it, it feels like because they are so old, or if, you know, if you want to call them veterans, it's like when you're playing against, as you're growing up and you're playing against the kids and you think, well, I've been in the league for 10, 15 years. I've, I've been an all-star, been an MVP, blah, blah, blah. We are smarter, we are more seasoned, we'll just be able to win these games on just that savvy vet type of uh, thing. Whereas these young cats are just like, 
will know we're playing against the Lakers. Most games are nationally televised. I want to make a name for myself. So they're just beating them on effort because they're just going through the motions thinking, okay, we'll just outsmart them and we'll just out-savvy them. And it's just not working for them at the moment. So that's my biggest worry because you can do that and think, okay, yep, we'll just win enough games, we'll get a good seed and then come playoff time, we'll all be gelling together and we'll be playing our best basketball and be able to compete. You run the risk of not realising that the younger guys are now on your level. And when you don't realise that, it becomes too late come playoff time. So I think they need to get out of this mindset of thinking, okay, we've been to so many all-star games and we've got so much talent. We need to respect these younger guys and these younger teams so that, you know, we're not losing these games that we should be winning like against your OKCs and uh, even almost losing to Memphis, those type of teams, you've got to pick those games up so you're not having to fight for seedings in the back half of the year. Um, Dwight, I think, has just gotten too high on his own supply. He's come back after what he did the first time in LA and he's back to the bad Dwight where he, he lets his... Um, immaturity get the better of him. He's not locked in and playing basketball way. You see things like where you know, he's having scuffles with teammates. So I think we're probably going to have to move Dwight on at some stage because uh, his ego has gotten the best of him. So what do we make out East with um, the mess that's over in Brooklyn? Start with you, Tosh. <laughs> yeah, look, um, you're right. I think that's probably the best way to describe it is, is, is it's an absolute mess. Um, you know, I still think, you know, KD's balling out. Um, James Harden, I think, has um, been a little bit of, a little bit, I guess, hurt by the rule changes. I feel like he's not getting to the line as much. And, um, you know, those, those fouls that he could draw previously, he's not able to do as well. So I think he's struggling a little bit, but I think he'll find his rhythm and um, should be okay. But obviously Kyrie's the, uh, the game changer for me. And I, you know, I, I, I was sort of sticking with Kyrie going, you know, he'll, it'll all work out and, and he'll, um, you know, he'll eventually just, just, just succumb to the pressure and just go, look, I'll just get the vax and, and move on. But um, certainly doesn't sound like that's happening anytime soon. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, if they can gauge some interest from him, from him, if, if he was to be traded to a team that actually doesn't have vaccine mandates and he can actually play ball, and he's interested in that. I think that that's probably something they need to explore because at this stage, it looks like he's going to play 50% of games or less, really. What do you reckon, Reg? What's happening out there? <sighs> maybe I'm maybe I'm giving these teams too much credit, but I just feel like it's the same as as LA. Just just let it roll on for a little bit. Now, obviously, they're not. They're a lot of got a lot of returning guys, um, but they also got some new guys as well. Um, they're sort of a, them, the Lakers. There's a handful of other teams that I'm sort of not really interested, to be honest, in until probably at least middle of the season, and then sort of from there on. Um, and I might be giving them too much credit, but I sort of feel like things will find a way to sort themselves out. The, the only thing with Brooklyn is, is, and it's probably similar to, um, although different situation to to um, Philly with Ben is having something hanging over you like the Kyrie situation or like Ben in Philly just isn't good for the team culture, for the chemistry, for it's, it's just not like, it's just not good. And the longer it goes on, I can, I just thinking of like myself in a work sense, I would just get more and more frustrated by it. Like I wouldn't find it easier. You'd just be like, Oh man, like we just need to, you know, um, get this, move on, you know, turn the page sort of thing. Um, and they're going to keep getting, I think Pat mentioned this on the last pod, they're going to keep getting talked that like asked about it. That sort of stuff's not going away because the media loves that stuff. It's like gold for them, like drama, drama, drama. This is the best thing ever. Um, so look, I, I'm not worried, but I do think um, the Kyrie situation sort of needs to play itself out. And I, I still don't think, uh, unless you sort of, yeah, I'm just not sure what what's going to happen with him. He's just... I, flip a coin with Kyrie like he, he could really just hold his hold his uh hold his stance and and let it ride um but I'm not too concerned at the moment by by Lakers or Brooklyn yeah Kyrie is the ultimate wild card isn't he um obviously with the Ben situation 
there's the idea of, okay, do we want someone with the shortcomings of Ben, obviously with his shooting, but we know if we trade for him, he's going to play and he's going to play hard. Yeah. On the flip side with the Kyrie one, you've got, okay, we've got the hangups of you just don't know what you're going to get from him. But then you couple that with the idea of he may just be like, yeah, you can trade me, but I just won't report to the next team. So that makes just it retire. very... Yeah. Like, so it makes it very difficult to to make it you know make a suitable trade if you are Brooklyn looking to move him on. You've almost got to you know sit there and just hope that he sort of sorts it out. So I thought Brooklyn would be fine without Kyrie Irving. I thought because they still have Kevin Durant and James Harden, that'd be no worries at all, and they would still roll through the first part of this season. Um, but the thing is, Harden is is really a shell of himself. Um, the rule changes have done him absolutely no favours. He shot 15 free throws for the entire season. I think um, in the last three years, he's had over 40 games where he shot 15 free throws or more in one game. Mm. So it's just been a huge drop-off for him. And look, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he'll be able to adjust his game because one or two things has to happen for James Harden. Either one, the referees go from, okay, we made a point in the first two weeks or first month of the season, and then they revert back to calling terrible calls, which I hope they don't because I think the game will be better if they allow the play to continue the way they had the first week. Or he has to change his game and go back to not seeking out contact and trying to get to the free throw line, get back to just trying to score the basketball or set up his teammate. And, you know, a player of that skill level and that talent level, I'm giving give the benefit of the doubt that he'll be able to adjust his game if the refs continue to call it that way. If they switch back to normal, James Harden will be fine. He'll keep getting back to the line 10-plus times a game and he'll be back to that 25, 30-point-a-game scorer and Brooklyn will be fine. But they need Kyrie Irving far more than I ever thought they did or they need to get someone in return for Brooklyn to be a team that's going to come out of the East. Um, because I must admit, I'm very surprised at a couple of the teams in the East just how well they are playing this season. So it's going to be no easy feat for Brooklyn to come out if they don't get Kyrie Irving or someone back for him this season. As, as a matter of interest, if, if um, like, what are your thoughts? If, if Kyrie, you know, does agree to a trade and, and, you know, in a hypothetical world, Ben Simmons and Kyrie, there's a trade with maybe a few other pieces or picks or whatever to make it a bit more worth Philadelphia's while, would you put Philly in immediate sort of contention with Kyrie playing, you know, playing in a city with no vaccine mandate, going to play most of the games, has committed to the season with Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers and, you know, Philly. Would you would you put them as a, as a pretty legitimate contender or would that not be enough? So if it was a Philly trade where they got Kyrie, Kyrie Irving just in a vacuum, so take the Ben, ben Simmons out of the equation, Philly would absolutely be a contender with Kyrie and Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris and that crew there. If the trade was that Ben Simmons went to Brooklyn for Kyrie Irving, it's a wrap in the East. Brooklyn is coming out. They're sweeping through to the finals. So that's yep. where that's where I see that. Ben Simmons would make that team near unbeatable in just in terms of his skill set with those players. So that, that's I, I thought I that's where I thought that's where you were going, Tosh. But then you, then you flipped it on to Philly, and I'm like, oh, I never actually even thought about that because I was so like Ben Simmons on this Nets team. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm just more Ooh. I'm just more thinking, you know, like if if Kyrie moves on and you say to Kyrie, hey, we're we're going to trade you on for, you know, to a team that's going to still be a legitimate contender. So we're not trading you to, you know, a team that's not going to be a contender just because we want to get rid of you. Because, you know, I think that if Kyrie's not going to be able to ball out and potentially contend for a championship, then basketball becomes less appealing than it already even is for him. Um, so I was more saying, you know, like, how do you flip his mindset and go, you want to ball out? New York's not going to change the mandate anytime soon. If you're not going to get the mandate, I think we have to work to a common ground and go, where do you want to go? Where do you think he's going to give you the best chance to play ball, win a championship and still do your, you know, um, you know, still do your charities and your, you know, helping people out and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. You know, you tell us we, what you want us to facilitate because at the moment it's it's no good you not playing ball and it's no good, you know, you holding out for not getting a vaccine when there's no way that New York's going to change the mandate. Do you, do you actually reckon that is a chance of happening? 
Like, do do you reckon that Kyrie could be in another uniform this season? At yes, some point? I I do. Yeah, I feel like he wants to be a symbol more than he wants to be a basketball player. Like, I don't. I think the ship has sailed on him being known as you know, one of these all-time greats. So he's he's going down the path of, I want to be known like a Colin Kaepernick or uh, Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Muhammad Ali. He, I think he's going down the path of, he wants to be remembered more so for what he did off the court than what he did on the court. So I can't see him going to another team I don't think the the chance of competing for a title is, means that much. All right, so let's move move away from from Brooklyn and the Kyrie situation because we could really go down a rabbit hole with that and and try to dissect exactly what Kyrie is thinking. And we'd probably be none the wiser at the end of it. We'd probably still have absolutely no idea on what he's thinking and what he's going to do. So let's just hope for Brooklyn's sake he gets back in the black and white soon um, and we can see some good basketball. So what I want to uh, ask you guys is what is your biggest surprise, either player or team, from the first week and a bit of this season? Start with you, Reg. Um, there's a few, I think, in, in contention here. Um, I'm probably going to go with Charlotte. Um, Charlotte. Charlotte uh, is four and one, I believe. Um, so, so they are, yes. Can't, can't, they they for, for for a minute there the the Ball brothers were uh, undefeated at, at four and zip each, but now we're both sitting four and one. <laughs> uh, but this team's just exciting to watch. They're just really really exciting and fun to watch. Um, and they're one of those teams that, yeah, I mean, if anybody said they're in contention, they're just like they're not in that tier to me. They're in that tier of sort of up and comers, and so you're watching them, knowing that that's the tier that they belong in. Um, but I didn't necessarily think they would be this good. And I know it's only you know, five-game sample size, so sort of got to um, take it with a grain of salt. But, um, yeah, I've, I've just enjoyed watching them. Um, and on the flip side, I actually thought Utah would start very slowly, but I believe they are also undefeated um, at the Four moment. Yeah. So, um, I, I, for some reason, I just thought, eh, I reckon I could see them starting slow and not sort of being the powerhouse regular season team they've been in, in recent times. But it looks like they're they're back rolling again. Yeah, they are very exciting to watch. Lamelo Ball and Bridges and these boys. Um, I, I, I must admit, I don't feel good watching Charlotte games, but they, they do look good. And, and Jordan's getting a lot of credit for getting one right in the draft when anyone who had pick three was taking Mello after the first two picks. So let's not give him too much credit. It was the, the pick that everyone was going to take. So... Um, but that's just my attack on Jordan for tonight. Charles, <laughs> what's your biggest surprise? Um, look, I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure if I'd if I'd call it a surprise. I probably got two teams. Um, the Wizards. Here we go. Here <laughs> we go. <laughs> look, I mean, I, I was going to say the Wizards, but we, we we moved on that. Uh, we talked about that a bit earlier. So I'll I was going to say Golden State Warriors for me. I know that they've got Steph, and I know that they've got a championship team, but I think that they're just like they're they're just balling out. They're playing well. Like, what are they sitting four and one? Yeah. Um, Steph's playing well. Jordan Poole's been um, you know amazing for them. You know, like they I think it just shows that when they've got a good system and the right players on the court, they can still be um, damaging. Um, you know, and I, I just think that. You know, if Clay Thompson gets back by what what do we what do you think it was maybe Christmas or something like that, he might get back. Yeah. Um, and if he can capture any kind of form, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they're, you know, they're not gonna be top of the West or anything like that, I don't think, but I still think that they could cause some headaches for some teams if they, you know, get firing at the right end of the season with Clay playing well. Um, so that's probably my first team. My other one is Memphis. Like they're three and two. I know they're not setting the world on fire, but I like John Moran. I think just taking his game to the next level. I think he's potentially averaging the most um, points in the, in the in the first week. I think he's averaging somewhere yeah. close to thirty. I think Steph might have just pipped him, but um, he's balling out too, which I think is an exciting prospect for the Grizzlies to um, you know 
get back up the the conference standings. Yeah, Jar and both Steph are both averaging 30, 30 and a half points and um, nearly eight assists for, for Jar, which is huge numbers for a guy like that. Um, he's, he's, as you say, he's taking his game to another level. Couldn't beat the Lakers, but, uh, you know, it's hard to beat the uh, team with LeBron when he's playing. Um, they did uh, they did beat Golden State today, which was which was good, except Steph, I think, went 0 for 6 or 0 for 7 from 3 in the fourth quarter. So after having 36 points in three quarters to then go scoreless in the fourth, you wouldn't see that too often. I think, I think, I think he shot 7 of 23s, I think. So I think I read somewhere. So he, got, he launched them. He got them up. He's 119 behind Ray for the record. Mm. Tried to get them all in one Cut, game by the sounds of A couple of months and he's there. Like, <laughs> yeah. can't, won't be too far away. And then it's just a matter of how far he goes in front as to yeah. if anybody can ever catch him. If you're taking mm. 20 a game, you'd want to get the record, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, when, I wonder how many times Ray took 20 in a game. <laughs> Uh, you get benched for three games if you had to taken that in the early 2000s. Um, for me, I my biggest surprise is the Miami Heat. I did not expect them to be this good. If if I hadn't if I haven't got a mortgage riding on Brooklyn and the Lakers meeting in the finals and wanting to see LeBron versus Kevin Durant before um, it's all said and done. I'd be all on the Miami Heat train to come out of the East. They are, they got all the all the ingredients of a great playoff team. And you know, Reg obviously a couple of years ago in the bubble, we just raved about their culture, about their coach, about Jimmy Butler, how unselfish they are. And all that is happening for them again at the start of this season. They've got a healthy team. My boy Tyler is killing it he have to be leading the six-man award he's averaging 21 points um, on nearly 50 percent from both three from two and three um, just killing it off the bench there jimmy's playing well bam's playing well um, they got kyle lowry who's fitting in very nicely into that culture ud is accepted him so if you know if you've got ud support in miami you're all good to me they're they're it if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Brooklyn out there, and if Kyrie doesn't come back for for Brooklyn, I have Miami coming out of the East just based on what I've seen in this first week. Um, they've smacked Milwaukee, they smacked Boston, they beat Brooklyn. They've just got everything you need to beat these teams. They play hard. There's no ego. So these teams with these you know superstars, they're able to just come in and say, "Look, you, you aren't that good," you know. Um, so for me, they've been the biggest surprise and uh, couldn't be happier for them. An ex Miami fan, LeBron, maybe mid season trade could <laughs> have a bit of a reunion with Pat Riley if things don't uh, turn around in LA. Yeah, Tyler Hero yeah. has been killing it, he's been exceptional. Um, and and you know, Bucket's how I feel about Kyle Larry, I think he's the best leader in the entire league. So put him on a team with with the way that he goes about it. Um, plus, they've still got Jimmy, who, who you know what you get from Jimmy, and that's 100% every single second of every single game. And they, I just don't think you'd fit in on that team if you had any bit of an ego whatsoever. They would just be like, nah, there's the door, trade you, get somebody else in. Um, and they're just tough. They're just tough. And they added a, a, one of the Morris boys. I never remember which one's which. Um, they added uh, PJ Tucker, who's obviously another tough dude. Like they're just which, and I don't think that can be undersold. The acquisition of PJ Tucker, just for the pure fact of that Brooklyn matchup, we saw it in the second round last year when he was on Milwaukee, and when they were playing Brooklyn a couple of days ago, it was the same thing. Yeah, no one's stopping Kevin Durant, but having someone like PJ Tucker being able to say you go him one on one and make the 30 points that Kevin Durant's going to get in his sleep the hardest 30 points that he's going to get all season, and the rest of us four guys on the court will do what we have to do to get the job done. He He's an amazing defender for a guy that size and just does all the little things that help you win ball games. I saw this um, I saw this tweet the other day, and it was so true. He's, he's the best zero-point-per-game scorer maybe in NBA history. <laughs> As in what he can add value-wise and score nothing 
in yes. a game, it's just like well, that's you've added so much and you did not even score a point. Like he just that's just his game. Like it's it's that's all he is out there to do is just to annoy the heck out of these elite players on on that end of the court. Like like very similar to like when I say similar, I mean in terms of contributions like Dennis Rodman towards the end of his career wasn't, you know, prolific scorer or anything like that, but just he had one job, rebounds and like hustle. And that was invaluable to to a team, you know, just that that mindset. I thought you were about to say Draymond and I was about to can't kick you out of the call. Glad you didn't go there. Well, Rodman carried Jordan to three rings. So <laughs> hey, that's two. You said you had your Jordan dig. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> that was the that support for Rodman. So. <laughs> but staying with the Bulls, give us your rundown. What, what are your thoughts on the first week in a bit of the Bulls? Uh, we're exciting. We're an exciting team to watch. Um, we're now going to a real learn about ourselves period of of play. I think our next 20 odd games we might be favored in about 25, 30% of them. Um, so that's going to be real, a real grueling uh, task. Um, obviously dropped the first one today to the Knicks. Um, but I think everybody was just too, too excited about big joke him to worry about getting the W. So I can understand that. Um, but I, I, I must admit we played um, Detroit twice without the number one pick Cade Cunningham. So, you know, uh, we played the Pelicans without Zion Williamson. Um, who else we played? Someone else in there. Toronto. We played Toronto and DeMar basically was like Toronto DeMar. He just torched them. <laughs> like He just, just got it done against them. Um, so he came up against a, a team that was at full strength and very well coached um, in the Knicks today. Um, and it was a little bit different. But I think that's not a bad thing to sort of be like, okay, you had a bit of a run. For us, I think it's going to take a bit of time um, to really get going. We're awesome in transition, but we suck in half-court offense because we get caught in the your turn, my turn, um, which just, I don't, I don't, unless it's, you know, Kevin Durant and, <laughs> and James Harden or something like this, I don't really like the your turn, my turn between Levine and DeMar. Um, Big Vooch is still trying to find, find his way. Uh, but I tell you what, Lonzo Ball, we talk about, I, I've never seen this much of Lonzo. He just does everything. And he's he he the, the way that he gets the ball up the court, as in, I don't care if I get a hockey assist, so I'm not the one actually passing it, but I'm going to pass it to the corner, who's then going to you know pass it to the guy running rim running. He's just like make basketball plays, make basketball plays between him and Caruso. How how do, I understand how people just love these guys because they just make winning basketball plays. Um. So look, good start. Um, Levine's torn a tendon in his his thumb, uh, which is going to try and play through. Um, he looked to be favouring it a little bit today, which is a bit of a concern when it comes to injuries this early in the season, particularly for a guy who is the number one like guy still. Um, but look, as a Bulls fan, to just be able to watch a team that actually is worth watching for the first time in what seems like a long time, uh, it's it's really really good. Yeah, we're happy. We're happy for you that the Bulls are worth watching. I must admit, I've tuned into a couple of games, and it's a lot more entertaining than it has been in in previous years. And you're right, the Ball brothers, both of them, you pay money to watch them every day of the week. Oh, they just just their their smarts for the game, like it's just insane. It really is, and they just make things look so simple and easy. And to them, they probably are, and that's what makes them so incredible. To us, they're not simple and easy. <laughs> All right, let's um, let's talk about our Aussies. Let's talk about the Aussies that are doing things in the NBA. Um, firstly, Paddy Mills started the season on fire, um, made his first, I think it was 10, ten. threes. Yeah. 10 for 10, which was unbelievable. And then I think he went one for seven in the game following that, but still shooting over 50% from the three-point line, averaging just over 12 and a half points a game, um, doing great things in Brooklyn. Um, Joey Ingles, again, another Aussie shooting over 50% from three, so um, averaging just over 10 points a game. And Josh Giddy, um, I do laugh at the Australian media that um, gets a hold of NBA players 
because they they over exaggerate everything they're doing, which is fine. They get excited about it, um, but they, they seem to think that everyone in America thinks that Josh Giddy is the runaway rookie of the year already from his first few games. Um, but averaging ten points, what's he averaging? Just over ten points, just over seven rebounds and seven no five rebounds um, and five Six assists. Times? Okay, yeah. So um, and <laughs> I was a bit. I was a bit sad, but at the same time, I was happy with Mello airballing a three because Josh Giddy just made a great play for Oklahoma City down the stretch, but then threw the ball straight to Mello, which could have oh. tied the game. But luckily for Mello, he airballed it, so that got him off the hook because that would have been an absolute disaster for a young rook. Uh, but he did play well in that game against the Lakers, which, uh, as, as you can imagine, got all the tongues wagging in Australia. Um, so he's, he's going very well. What I love about Giddy is, uh, and I know this is what he was like in the um, in the NBL as well. And if you ever hear him talk, he has that similar mindset to the Ball Brothers. In that, I'm gonna, I really like passing the ball. Like I really like getting my guys involved. If if, if anybody other than Shea on that team could actually make a shot, <laughs> this dude could put up <laughs> ridiculous assist numbers because he has that that passing ability that is special. And he's like six nine or something like six ten. Like he's six eight. Yeah, he's huge. Um, and he's only. 19 so he could even be grow bigger like um but i just i i must admit i didn't think his um his floater game his sort of um around the ring game was this good uh or as good as it's been early on um he's obviously worked pretty hard on that i think um coming in because he didn't have that in the nbl not at all um and even his three-point shot hasn't been too bad i think he's shooting a shade under 40 percent um, not, yep. that he's a, not that he's a high volume there, um, but again, that wasn't sort of his his game. Um, so yeah, it, very very exciting um, watching Giddy, and I think I think you're right. I think the, the Aussie uh, media outlets who who only ever uh, pick up basketball when it's either Ben Simmons story or a Joe Ingles or a Patty Mills or anything like this, um, they're they're running away with their predictions um, and, and often can't even pronounce names properly. So that just goes to show <laughs> how much they know about the, these players. Yes, very, very true. And now we can't not talk about Ben Simmons, the biggest Australian in the NBA, getting all sorts of attention for not necessarily the right reasons. Um, but I want to start with you, Tosh. We, we had a fairly um, lengthy discussion in our group chat just in regards to where we feel this sits. Um, you asked the question, is it on the player to do right by the organisation and uphold his, his contract? Or is it on the organisation to do right by, by the player? Um, where do you sit in regards to what Ben's done and how Philly's handled the situation? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, this is going to be a very probably sitting on the fence kind of an answer because I think that both parties are at fault um, for the most part. Like, you know, I don't think that the Philadelphia organisation at the end of uh, last season's playoffs should have come out and publicly said what they said. Not that, not that I'm saying that what they said wasn't, I guess, truthful, you know, you know, but I just think that that's something that probably should have been done, you know, behind closed doors. You know, optimally, you'd want to do it behind closed doors to say, look, you didn't have the greatest playoffs. You know, you, you had times when you could have, you know, gone for points and you've chosen to pass. And, you know, like a lot of those things I don't think were untrue about last year. Um but I also, there's some part of me that also goes, you know, you've signed, you know, multi-million dollar contract to stay there for four or five years. Um, I think you do have a bit of an obligation to, to play for the organisation. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you can sign on to an organisation and go, this is where I'm, I'm, I want to win a championship, rah, rah. And then if something happens and they trade away a star piece because the chemistry doesn't work or whatever, it's then not on you to then make that decision to go, oh, this isn't what I wanted to sign up for, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to try and you know demand to go away. I know this isn't the case with Ben Simmons, but I just think that you sign the deal, you should put your best foot forward and play. Um and I, and I actually think in this in this situation, I think it's best for him just to play because he obviously wants to be traded and that's no secret. Um, and I just think that at the moment, you know, Daryl Morey's already come out saying they're not going to, like, they're not going to entertain a trade that they don't think is valuable. And at the moment, no one's going to offer up, you know, the farm for him. 
Um, so the only way he's going to be able to potentially get out of that franchise is come out, ball out, lift his trade value and then go, I want out. Um, but yeah, I think that two sides to, you know, two sides to the story. And I think that can understand why he's upset and doesn't want to, doesn't want to engage with the team um, currently. If it was me in that situation, I'd, I'd just, I'd ball out for a month or six weeks and just say, you've, you, you've got to try and be actively facilitating a trade. Where do you, where do you sit on it, Reg? I'd probably echo um, what Tolsh said. I think going back to the original question, um, and I think Buckets, you answered this well in, in our group chat, and I, I, I can't remember the exact words you used, but there's there's um, responsibility on both sides to uh, any contract. Um, you're, you're offering what the player's worth. The player is then signed and say, yep, I believe I'm worth that. I want to play here. You know, both parties have... Um, have their agreement away they go. Um, I think in the past, teams definitely had more control over that sort of stuff, um, as in the, the the player movement, the player empowerment that there is today is so different to what it used to be that it was basically teams had all the control. And that's, that's I don't know it's 50-50 yet, it's probably not, but it's it's getting closer, um, as in the, the players are having more more power there. Um, because I, I just think like if Ben did this like 20 years ago, I think the, the, um, everyone's view of it would be completely different to what it is, um, to what it is now. Um, but, but like Tal said, if it were me, um, I would, I would ball out and that's more me and myself wanting to do the best job that I can do. Um, not just, not, not even necessarily for Philly, but just in general life in everyday life, not wasting a moment, not wasting an opportunity. Um, and I would like to hope if I, and it's, it's hard because you say do right by them, even though they didn't do right by you, but almost be like, let's, I'm going to come here. I'm going to ball out, but you guys got to get me out of here. Like you have to get me out of here. I'm not. And if, if we get to a certain point and you haven't, then yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit it revisit it there um now obviously he doesn't have that that trust in that that they would do that for him otherwise i believe he'd be playing yeah good point and look for me where where i sit on it um is and i'm on record saying that once you you should be as loyal to your organization for the length of your contract so i've said all along that if you're a free agent, you are free to do whatever you want and go wherever you want. If you sign a contract, you honour that contract between yourself and the organisation. I don't like players that go in demanding trades or do what James Harden does um, or even going back further with Vince Carter and, and different scenarios like that where they force their way out of town. I feel like if you sign a two-year deal, you honour that two-year deal and then after that, you're free to do whatever you like. Where I feel like this situation is different is because when you sign that contract, there's an obligation from you as the player and there's an obligation from the organization to do right by you as a player as well. So you've got to do right as a player. They've got to do the right thing by the organization. They didn't do the right thing at the end of last season. Um, as Shannon Sharp always says, there's three people who always tell you the truth. Kids, drunk people and angry people. And Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid were obviously angry and frustrated at the end of that game seven. And as Tosh said, what they said was not a lie, but what, the way they did it broke that trust and that inner circle that you have within a sporting organisation. Paul Ruse once said that the, the most relationships are broken in the first five minutes after a loss than any other time during the week as a coach. So if he ever had a bad loss, he wouldn't address the team straight away because once you say something, you can't then get that back. So you might get, you know, two days down the track and realize, oh, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that or that was in the heat of the moment, that was based on emotion. Once you say it, it doesn't, you can't get that back. How that makes that person feel will always be the same. So that's what they did. They said those things, they tried to walk them back but it doesn't change how that would have made Ben Simmons feel. So if you're not going to respect the effort in the bad times, hell, I'm not going to come and give you the effort in the good times. And people are saying, well, you have to play to get your trade value up 
so we can get you out of here. It's like, why am I going to give you any more benefit when you're going to go and do that to me publicly after a loss? If you had done that behind closed doors and challenged me to be better and done it in a much different way, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But you've broken that trust and now you expect me to come back and you want to benefit off me after what you did to me publicly after that game seven. So there's no trust there for him to go and say, well, I'll go out and average my 15 points, 10 rebounds, eight assists, and then you're going to trade me once my value's up. You killed my value by what you said. There was a trade on the table for James Harden with the same issues that we're talking about. Everyone knew in the league he couldn't shoot free throws and he couldn't shoot jump shots, and they were still willing to trade James Harden for him. The reason the trade value is so small now is because they said what they said about him at the end of that game seven. So he's like, well, F this, I ain't coming back. So Philly did this to themselves and they're not willing to accept responsibility for it. So they've played this out over the summer. If they had said, okay, we stuffed up. This isn't, Ben's not going to come back. He doesn't want to be here. Let's get the best deal we can in the summer. They stood firm and said, no, we're not doing it. And that's what's created this whole situation. And now you expect him to come back and play for you? I'm like, nah. If I was Ben, I'd be doing exactly what he's doing. And I would not play another dribble for that franchise. Because I have no trust that if I play well for them, that they'll get me out of here. They'll just keep benefiting off me. They'll get to the playoffs and think things are going well. Let's run this through and see if we can win a championship. So the trust is gone. What do you think the market spent about... The, the quotes from executives saying, but if this is how Ben's going to act when adversity hits, we don't want someone like that because adversity is going to hit us in some way, shape or form as well. And he just takes the, the easy road or the, the, the sook road as, as some people have referred to and just, you know, mopes around and like, because obviously they're the ones who are going to be trading for him. So if he's not doing himself any favours, other teams are like, well, then we're not going to trade for him. You know what I mean? Like it's, I get the Philly side, but then what about Ben himself doing, showing other teams like, hey, I'm worth having. Like, I'm not a dick. <laughs> not saying he is, just. No, and 100%. And they're absolutely, I can understand. If I was a GM of the team, I'd be having the exact same thoughts. Hmm. But he has no guarantee that him playing for Philadelphia is going to get a trade. Like if, if he could get a guarantee to say, right, You go out and if you are player of the week in the Eastern Conference for two weeks, we will trade you. And then you say, okay, right, I'm going out for two weeks. I'm going to get player of the week both weeks. And then I'm guaranteed to get out of here. There is no guarantee that Philly will trade him. They will wait till they get a deal that they want. So he could potentially have to play the entire year and they don't get the deal that they want on the table. So it's like, well, sorry, we can't trade you. So how does so can you see it from Ben's perspective, thinking, yeah, I could go out there and make other GMs think, well, I'll fight through adversity, but he has no guarantee that the organization is going to hold up their end of the bargain and actually trade him out. They can just keep saying, the deal's not on the table that we want. You're contracted to us for four years. Do you reckon they I mean, would, I, though, I, considering they're, in a, a, they're a team that is contending? Mm. And if, if Ben's going to go out and ball out and, and you, you're heading... Like, I, I feel like a bit like the Kyrie situation. The longer this lingers, it's not going to work. They're not going to win a championship with Ben Sims there. So mm. wouldn't, wouldn't you just like, wouldn't you just get to the point where you're like, we just got to get rid of him because we're, we're in a position where we could actually win this thing. Like we need to get... We, we just go for that rather than sort of be like, let's just hold on to him. And then say you get to the playoffs and you're like, well, is Ben now going to on purpose help us like, lose? Like... I. I just don't know if you'd want that hanging over you from from their perspective. Like if I, I get that they could, I just don't know how likely that is to happen. Mm. And I think, like, I think the other thing, like, like I would like probably add would be surely that there's contingency, contingencies that they can put in. Like, you know, if you're if, if the organization comes to comes to Ben and Ben goes to the organization and says I want out, and they say, all right you know, ball out and we'll, we'll find a trade for you. And, like, there can be contingencies in there where Ben goes, that's fine. If it gets to, you know, all-star weekend and I'm not out of here, I'm I'm my cutoff is all-star weekend or my cutoff is playoffs. So my cutoff is, like, I will not play a single game for this organisation past this date. I'll give my all so you guys have, you know, 60 days or however long to facilitate a trade. Uh, I feel like that, you know, I mean, and Philly aren't going to, you know, if they've got down in writing, Philly aren't going to go, let's keep Ben and just hope he has a change of heart because realistically he could turn around 
come playoffs or come end of All-Star weekend and go, I'm out. Like, this is what I agreed to. You said you facilitate a trade and you haven't. I'm not playing for this franchise anymore. And I doubt that Philly would would want to just take, you know, 40 games of Ben Simmons and then have him go on the whim that he might come and play, you know, the rest of the season and, and you know, get into playoffs. You know, I just, I feel like there are things you can put in place. But wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't he be in the exact same position now? So he plays 40 games, they don't trade him out, and then he, he packs up and goes home? Like, what's that going to say to other teams? Like, doesn't that just well, put him in the exact same position he's in now? Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm similar to what, what Reg is saying. I don't know if an organisation who's, who's in a contention window, so to speak, if they can get a good piece for Ben Simmons, would be would entertain the fact of if we don't find the right deal, we're not going to trade him. Because the fact of the matter is, if he doesn't play all of this year, he's he like you're paying him a whopping amount of money. He's not going to take the court. He's not going to benefit your team. He's a problem in terms of lingering over the rest of the team from a culture point of view and a morale point of view. You know, if you're Daryl Moore and you've got Joel Embiid and Tobias Harrison, you've got, you know, a good call with Doc Rivers as a coach, you're not really going to, I don't think you're really going to hang on to Ben if Ben's pretty much unequivocally said, I'm not interested, I want I want out of here. I mean, you know, if, if Ben was going to have had a change of heart and play, I feel like it would have happened by now. But that's, uh, I think... <laughs> It's pretty clear he does not want to be there. He's told them that from the start. The reason he didn't go to training camp. So he said unequivocally, I do not want to be here. Get me out of here. And they're turning around and saying, okay, well, go and get your trade value up. That we killed on you. It's like, nah, man, like you did that. You stuffed up. Like, and now you want me to fix it for you? Like, just get yeah, me out of here. Take the deal. Yeah, but the, the thing is, what deal are they going to get for him? You know, that's I guess that's the thing that they want. And, 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 and is that that's going to put them in, back in contentions? Mm. That's Philly's fault. This, this is, that's not Ben's fault that the trades offers that they're getting are poor. They had an offer for James Harden when Ben was playing. So the reason they're now getting terrible deals is not purely because Ben Simmons passed up a layup in Game 7 and didn't want to go to the free throw line. If they hadn't I mean, said my, what they said post that game, yes, you might not have had James Harden on the table, but you still would have had a hell of a lot better deals if they didn't say those things after the game. So Philly has made the trades so much worse for themselves, and now they're turning to Ben and saying, we need you to get those trade deals up. I mean, yeah. I mean, that I absolutely understand that point. I mean, my, my only other question, um, I guess comment or question or question to you guys is, you know, I'm probably going to get murdered for saying something like this, but what do we think of Ben Simmons' actual, I guess, overall attitude towards basketball? Like in my mind, as an Aussie, there'd be nothing better than playing the Olympics and playing for the Australian team. There'd be nothing better than wanting to take the court. And I just don't, it doesn't seem to me like he has a huge desire to like, to be like what LeBron and KD, when they just want to ball out and play no matter what, like, you know, they, they, they admittedly they haven't had a, a rough road like what Ben's had in terms of the organisation coming out and saying things about him. But I just, to me, you know, the, the, the some of his attitudes, not, not obviously personal attitudes, but some of the decisions he's made around not representing Australia, you know, what's happening currently in Philly, even just sometimes his demeanour on the court, to me, I just don't know, if his attitude is that, you know, you can rely on him to to bring you a championship. And I wonder if last season that was shown to some GMs to go, are we actually going to be able to win, win a playoff, you know, an NBA finals, you know, series to seven games against a Lakers or, a, you know, Brooklyn or, a, you know, whatever um, with this, with this bloke. So do you mean like care factor? What's his what's his level of yeah. care factor? Yeah, I think that the hard part I think there is that there's and this is always timely, but the articles are starting to come out. You know, this Australian player didn't want him on the roster back here. These guys have said they didn't really want him there. Um, the 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 famous um, article by I can't remember that bloke's name, but the, the famous draft dude over there. Um, talking about, you know, does Ben Simmons actually care enough to be great? Has all the tools and everything, but does he care enough? 
I don't actually think we're going to know the answer to that until this situation plays out. Because if he goes somewhere else and completely changes and is completely switched on and does amazing things with his new team, I think that sort of answers the question. But if he doesn't, then I think that that answers the question as well, you know, in the other way. And um, I remember you were saying buckets after the um, the boomers thing that you're sort of glad Ben wasn't there because otherwise he would have got sort of all the credit for what they were able to achieve. And I, I, I agree with that completely. Um, but I think like going forward now, it's kind of like almost like when he goes to his next team, which I actually happen to believe will be pretty soon. Um, it's almost like now we see what Ben is. Like we've pretty much forget everything else. This this is Ben's chance to be Ben Simmons, great player, you know, plays for the Boomers, etc. Or is it the guy that some people think is just just loves the lifestyle and and that's you know got the money and 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 that sort of thing um, and just happens to play basketball uh, at the same time. Yeah, hundred percent. He's twenty five years old. He needs fresh air. Um, he needs to get out of this just awful situation that's been created. And he's not not to blame in this situation. I don't want people to think that Ben's not to blame in here. I just respect what he's doing and understand that bond between organisation and player was, was severed. And they don't deserve to get benefit from that player after what they did. For me, he's 25 years old. So... This is when he can start to grow up and become his own man. Um, Andrew Bogut had a great article about it saying that when you get Ben one-on-one, he's a really good dude. He just has a lot of people around him that give him advice. And uh, I guess he's, um, I wouldn't, wouldn't say entourage, but you know the people he trusts, his family, his friends, people have been there from the start that you know help him make decisions and, and have guided him through to this point now. Now he needs to start becoming more of an adult and being able to make decisions for himself. And as you say, if we can get him to a new team, to a fresh start, to some fresh air, then we get to see who the real Ben Simmons is. If it's the same of what we've seen in Philadelphia, then yeah, absolutely you can make the case that he doesn't care enough. He likes the lifestyle. He just never got the best out of himself, but was just so talented and made all the money. Or he becomes the superstar that we hope he can be um, now that he starts to, to grow up because he's been a prodigy. He left Box Hill back when I think he was 15 or 16 to go to high school in America was basically the consensus number one pick from 17. Um, we know that he didn't respect the NCAA system and how that's just a money generator for the stars over there. It's not actually about helping students get an education. Comes into the NBA at 18, 19 now he's, he's, you know, we all know once you get into your mid-20s, you start to see the world a bit clearer. You start to mature. You start to have the confidence to make your own decisions and be more of a man. We will get to see, if he can get to a new team, exactly who Ben Simmons is. Yep. Mm. Agreed. Yeah, be interesting. yeah. And let's hope he gets to Paris. That would be a, a, the, the icing on the table. I can get him to a new team. He'll have three strong years in the NBA. Link him up with LeBron when he's 42. Maybe get a chip there. <laughs> then, he, then he gets to Paris. Gets to Paris in 224 and we can contend for a gold medal. That I'm I'm all in on Ben Ben Simmons' corner. I want I want this to work out for the best and him to become the stud and win the Australian public back because that's that's the most concerning thing that he he has lost a lot of the Australian public, so he's getting crushed in America, and he doesn't have the support of his home country, which is a lot to do with not playing for the national team. So, yeah, all, all in for Ben to turn this around in the second half of his career. It is funny though because Bogut, Bogut did a similar thing when he was younger about not playing, not representing Australia as well, and copped a bit, and then sort of did a full one eighty, and by the end was like you know one of the main players in in that. Uh, part of that culture um so yeah he's, he's definitely he's, as you say he's 25 he's got time to turn that around but the time is sort of ticking now like it's starting now because you're starting to get into that that period of time when it's now or never really yeah to me the shooting has got to improve he's been in the league for long enough now that um to me you know being in the nba being with you know top top of the range coaches shooting stuff, all that kind of stuff. To me, 
I'd have liked to have seen more, I guess, um, you know, improvement in in his weaknesses of the game because that to me shows, uh, you know, more of your attitude. Like, you know, Jordan's on record for pronouns coming out saying the moment that, you know, someone thought I had a weakness, I worked on that weakness to make sure it was a strength so that people couldn't use that against me. And um, I know the NBA is a little bit different from when Jordan was was around, but, um, yeah, to me, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him really work on those weaknesses and and come back bigger and better than ever to show that, you know, you can't, you know, you can't just sag off me pretty much down to the block and let me have as many shots as I want, you know. Um, yeah, to me, I think that would be, you know, to me that shows his, his commitment and um, his attitude if he starts to improve, improve those weaknesses. I think he, it'll, it'll happen for him. It's a mental mental thing. It'll, the penny will drop he'll, he, as long as he's in an environment where he feels that, uh, you know, the people around him respect him and that they, you know, respect the work he puts in and that it's okay to fail. It would be similar to how Giannis got past his demons that, you know, he realised it's okay to fail and to look silly and, you know, the worst it's going to get is actually not that bad. Once he gets over that mental side of it, everything else will be unlocked. And, you know, just imagine what it's going to be like when Ben Simmons is not afraid to go to the free throw line, is not afraid to take jump shots. Uh, good luck to anyone trying to guard him. Absolutely. That's the hope. Let's just hope we're, we're days, weeks till resolution. <laughs> Because yeah. you don't want to just keep talking about this for months on end because it just takes away from you know everything else. And because he's Australian, it gets so much more attention even over here. And it's like, oh, come on, like, you know. And it's hard when they don't understand the difference between NBA culture and American sport culture to AFL culture. You know, when you grow up with AFL over here, it's a completely different mindset. Um, to how you're expected to conduct yourself than it is in American sport. Like American sports stars are celebrated for their arrogance, whereas they are crushed for their arrogance over here. If, if someone like a Patrick Dangerfield or a Dustin Martin come out in an interview and, and talked the way that these NFL and NBA stars talk, saying that, you know, this is my team and this is how I do it and I'm just here to be the best player I possibly can be and I want to be the MVP and blah, blah, blah they would get crushed in Australia for that. But that's not how they're expected to talk. They're expected to say that it's all about the team and the team's achievements and blah, blah, blah. Like I reckon even if someone come out and said, my goal this year is to win the Brownlow medal, the Australian media would crush them because it's like, well, you should be about winning a premiership for the team and a team goal, whereas they get celebrated if a rookie comes out and says, I want to be the best player in the league or the best player of all time or I want to be an MVP. They get celebrated for that. So, you know, they don't they see what Ben's doing and they don't understand that it's a it's a different culture in American sports. And this kind of thing is not um, you know, it's, it doesn't happen all the time, but there's reasons behind it. Yep, well said. So um let's just as i said let's hope the ben simmons gets sorted out Kyrie Irving gets sorted out and then we can really start to the stories are going to be about you know what teams are playing well and you know guys like Jar Morant that have improved is i'm going to come back how's luca going more basketball related stuff instead of all this off-court drama that is just feeding the news cycle um, as we go so um speaking of zion how's that most improved and mvp pick going for you at the moment Tosh. yeah so i'd actually like to go out on go out on record and say that um i was misled by the uh by the team's announcement who said that zion will be fit and healthy ready to play uh round one uh this this season i feel like i've been absolutely um misled with that so <laughs> i don't think he's going to win mvp i still think you know he potentially could win uh most improved if he comes back and balls out and kills it but um I mean, I would like to say that caveat in last pod, I did say that Kevin Durant, I think, is going to win the MVP regardless. <laughs> my smoky, but my smoky is is going to be on Zion. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to come true, unfortunately. How's, how's Kevin Durant looking for MVP as well? Oh, I mean, he's still, he's still playing. I think he's averaging 29 points and 
you know, he's normal like six six rebounds and six, seven assists or something like that. But um, you know, as I said, if, if if they get on a roll and they you know become number one seed in the in the East or close to it, and he's you know averaging thirty, he'll be thereabouts again. I can't remember who'd you have for MVP. Reg? I was actually just thinking that I, I can't remember who I had. Oh, Luca, I had Luca. Oh, Luca, yeah. yeah. And then I think I think yeah. I think you also said that that Giannis is also a chance of just balling out again and potentially winning it for a, a second year. I just think he, yeah, you don't want to overlook that guy now that the monkey's off his back. He could just be a menace, mm-hmm. an absolute menace. And and some of the way he's been pulling up in transition threes, I'm like, oh my goodness, if he gets a transition three. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it is a wrap because he needs to still yes. take that fifteen-second three-pointer, um, so teams can at least, <laughs> you know, um, you got you got to respect it. But if he hits that on a on a, geez, even a few better percentages than he has, my goodness, my goodness, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be hard to stop if he can if you develop a you know a somewhat of a shooting game, wouldn't he? Oh. Yeah, and if you took, if you're putting your money on after game after opening night, you would have said he was going to run away with it. He was dominant against Brooklyn. That was unbelievable. I was, I I was so surprised for a guy that finally won a championship that you know it might be a bit of a you know I'll lull my way into the season, but he just looked like he was thought I'm better than everybody in the league now, and I'm going to show everyone. Like he's tailed off a little bit, but yeah, he looked good and. Yeah, let's hope he doesn't get a three-pointer because you know, it's cool <laughs> to see. It's cool to see Milwaukee win it, but uh, I, I'm certainly not hoping that they're back there again. <laughs> um, anything else that has caught your eye that you want to bring up from the first part of the season, or you want to wrap wrap things up? Oh, she had some milestones um, or something to finish on. Didn't well, it? Yeah, I, I had some milestones to finish on. My last thing is um. I'm just having a bit of a read through some of the milestones that have come through in the last last week. So obviously Chris Paul has become the first player in league history to amass at least 20,000 points and 10,000 assists. Um, they, they did say, you know, LeBron James is likely to join him because he only needs 288 more assists to join that club. Um, but, you know, I think it's easy for LeBron when he's passing to Ray Allen and Chris Bosh and Kyrie Irving and every other superstar he's played with. So yeah, no, Chris Chris Paul's played with trash his entire years. <laughs> he's never played with any good players. Well, so, and New, uh, New, New Orleans, New Orleans, he wasn't playing with uh, absolute superstars, but um, hey, David West and sleep <laughs> David West. That elbow jumper from David West. Yeah. Oh man, probably got five thousand uh, just from that. Whew. Yes, and uh, the only other one was um, was Carmelo Anthony has now gone. He's gone past Moses Malone for ninth place in the all-time scoring list, and Shaq's up next, who's eighth place. Um, but it's saying here that Carmelo would need to average at least fifteen points per game for the rest of the season to catch Shaq. So I'm not sure if um, if that'll happen. And then um, James Harden has passed Cole Corver for fourth place on the career three pointers. He's obviously trailing Reggie, um, Steph Curry, and Ray Allen, but I don't think that James Harden's going to take that crown off Steph, I wouldn't imagine. Isn't that crazy? Like, Kyle was like a three-point shooter only, and then you got a guy who comes in, and the league's just so different now that just jacks threes, and so now he overtakes someone like Kyle Korver, who's one of the greatest pure shooters of all time. Like, he's just rolling past him like he's nobody. Yeah, so 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 like Ray Allen currently leads it on two thousand nine hundred and seventy-three. Steph's uh, about one hundred and twenty or one hundred and thirty behind him, and then Reggie's third with two thousand five hundred and sixty. So he's you know sort of four hundred off um, Ray's record. So it just shows the times. Like you know, Steph Curry's probably still got what three, four more years left in the league, maybe depending on his durability and you know he. he He'll, you know, he'll, his record will be hard to catch. I would, would presume. See that that list is going to be bogus in ten years' time, though. Like Steph, yeah. I think we all agree Steph will still be at the top of it. But the rest of the guys on there, I don't think it's going to be a, a true indication because of the game changing so much. Like Steph and Ray were prolific three point shooters 
because they the game, you know, if they had six threes in the game, that was like, oh, I can't believe Ray took six threes or Reggie took six threes. Whereas now these guys like Trey Young and even Luka Doncic, um, Dame Lillard, James Harden, it's nothing for them to shoot 12 plus threes in a game. Like we just said, Steph shot 20 in a game. Like, so that list of made threes is going to just be filled with guys from 2010 onwards, basically. Mm. So guys mm. like Ray and um, Reggie may end up slipping off it when really it's not a true indication of just how good a shooters Ray Allen and Reggie Miller were. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that. Reggie will be in the 20s in 10 years' time. That's how far, that's how far back he'll be from, from the top of that list if it keeps going this way because yeah, these dudes just and come gets, in shooting. They come in shooting from day one and yep. just get them up. <laughs> I, I, I still reckon it wouldn't matter if he's 20th on the list. People would still regard him as one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. Yeah, people, people know for sure. Yeah. <laughs> people that just look at the list, they'll be like, you know, why are you talking about this Reggie guy? Like, look at Trey Young. Yeah, that's right. True. Well, look at LaMelo Ball, who's shooting. I think he's averaging seven or eight threes a game. Crazy. It's a different game. It's a different game. It is. I was surprised yeah, like LaMelo it- was so high. I did not realize, like, I sort of, you know, you sort of forget, you know, because obviously Melo been out of the league for a year and all the talk about, you know, not wanting to come off the bench and blah, blah, blah. It's sort of um clouded just how good of a scorer he has been for such a long time to be in the top 10 you see the other guys on that list he's like yeah damn mellow was was a beast mm. professional scorer mm. just could put the ball in that ring couldn't do much couldn't do much else but could put the ball in that ring <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say his defense uh, wasn't great and <laughs> rebounding wasn't great but you know <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's wrap it there. Um, thanks, Talsh, for joining us, um, and we'll be back for another episode soon. Make sure you're following us on our on our socials, um, on Facebook and, and Instagram, uh, and following us um, and subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts.